Good morning, Taproot. Um, welcome. My name is Sam, and I will be reading the word for us today. When I finish reading, um, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and as a church, we can respond with, speak, Lord, your servants here. Our text today is Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text today, um, we approach you aware of your holiness, uh, aware that you are a good and a just God. And as we come to this text, I just pray that you will be with Will, um, that he will preach it as you would have us hear it, that you would give us hearts that want to want to obey. Um, will you, Spirit, reveal in us any hypocrisy? Would we come to you humbly? And thank you, Jesus, that we come to you, we come through the blood of the cross. Um, and so I just pray that that will comfort our hearts. Um, be with everyone in, in the children's ministry downstairs as well today, that their teaching will be a good time as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello. Hi, guys. Good morning. Um, yeah, happy spring break. Anyone on spring break this week? Anyone? You either feel the weight of spring break one of two ways. It's either less work for you, like so maybe you're not at school or something, or, um, or maybe it's more work for you because you have more humans in your house more of the time you have to take care of. So either way, I, I hope that your spring break goes super, super well and you have fun. Um, either way. And get to hang out. I'm looking forward to it. The weather looks like it's like meh, you know? But either way, um, I was really excited. I don't know about the rest of you, but yesterday I got to go outside with my family and I had like a light sweater on and we grilled burgers and it gave me hope <laughs> that warmth is coming back and I'm really excited about it. So there's that. Um, my name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to say if you're a guest this morning, I want to say welcome. Uh, we're excited you're here with us. Here at Tapri, we exist to know, the, know Jesus and make him known. That's, uh, that's kind of what we, we really focus on here is to know Jesus and to make him known. And, uh, and we just hope that you know that you're welcome and invited to join us as we worship our King and Savior Jesus. Um, a couple just quick housekeeping things that I just want to talk about before we get into our text this morning. Uh, it, maybe you haven't noticed, we're trying to sort of like figure out a really good flow for the Sunday morning gathering. And so our thought is before we get into the, the actual preach, instead of having like our, our announcement kind of section happen at the very end of our gathering when we're all have like, we have like wiry kids and we're all a little anxious and we're a little tired and it's 1230 and we're like, we need, we, we need to be done. Uh, we want to kind of have this space be a little bit more of a time where we, maybe we just cover a few things we want to highlight. Um, just a couple things I want to say is, uh, you probably know this already, but we don't have preteen today, so um, if your preteen child went downstairs, go get them. 
and bring them back up here because uh, that's not happening today. <laughs> One of the families, they had some illness and weren't able to make it, so, um, so we just are not offering that class this morning. So we have elementary, but not preteen, all right? Um, another thing, uh, just a little development on the building over this weekend, uh, our basement flooded. So that was really cool. It was great to get that phone call on Saturday morning, uh, um, but... Uh, we had a restoration team come out. You might see some blue extension cords around, and you might hear some fans. That's because a res- restoration crew came out, and they, they, uh, they dealt with about 100 gallons of water down in our basement and got that out, and then they're drying it all up, and we're going to get on the phone with the insurance company and get it taken care of. So be in prayer for that. Pray that that goes well. And uh, just my ask is don't go in the basement. Sound good? Get everyone, in, everyone down? Do not go in the basement. Um, I don't want you to smell the smells or breathe the breeze, okay? So if you could do that, that'd be wonderful. Awesome. And uh, also just being aware of your children. Sometimes our children feel like they have free ownership of this building and can run wherever they want. My ask is be aware of where your children are at, please, um, for today and for the foreseeable future, just to make sure they're not playing around in gross stinks, okay? Awesome. Uh, One more thing. Um, uh, About... Three or four weeks ago, uh, we started like kind of talking about it, and like we put it um, a sign-up sheet, a couple sign-up sheets out on the Connect table. We're looking for some help in a couple of areas in our Sunday morning gathering. Uh, so we have lots of spaces where people can volunteer and help out in lots of ways. So like Taproot Kids, or security team, or music team, or hospitality, or communion. Lots of different areas. We're trying to expand um, a couple. We're trying to add a couple more teams. One is a Sunday morning team, and one is. Kind of not, um, but sort of. Uh, so one is a greeters team. We really want to get back in the groove of, of scheduling people to be greeters on a Sunday morning. So people that are going to sit at our, kind of be planted at our entrances and be welcoming people in. Um, we put out some stuff a few weeks ago, and we actually have zero people signed up so far. So this is my, hey, I want to make sure that this is clearly communicated and it's out there. And uh, if you at all are willing to uh, show up a little early and maybe hand out bulletins and say hi and smile as people come in and get to know people, uh, I just want to ask that you consider that, all right? Um, the other thing is um, we have a Taproot Events sign-up sheet, volunteer sign-up sheet. So we want to do more things together um, and have fun together and smile together and laugh together more often. Just, let's just create more opportunities. So we want to just have some events on the calendar Things like feasts, things like, you know, just times where we can just gather together and have a good time. And so we're looking for people that maybe want to be kind of on call, ready to go, and see that calendar scheduled out and be willing to come and serve during those events, okay? And so uh, there's a sign-up sheet for that as well over there. So again, those are just a couple areas. Uh, those are really good ways that if you're pretty new to Taproot, uh, those are great ways, especially greeters, because greeters is a spot where you can really get to know people in this community. And if you're like, gosh, I want to be connected, that's a great way to feel connected. Uh, if you've been here for a long time, uh, I also recommend it too, because then it's a good opportunity to say hi to your buds as they're coming in, you know? So there's all that. Okay, all I'd say, let's get into our sermon. Um, I'm going to pray for us one more time. Father, thank you for this time. I just worship you, Lord. I just want to come with a heart that's ready to um, just sit under your word and hear these woes and not to think, man, so-and-so really needs to hear this, <laughs> but to, to really ask myself, in what ways am I a hypocrite? In what ways do I try to project and exude an exterior that's good and clean and okay so that because I care so much about what man thinks, 
and I sometimes care so little what you think, Lord. I pray that you convict us, but then in that conviction, there's also comfort because we know the realities of who we are in Christ Jesus, and you call us back into that identity. So I pray, Lord, this morning that the gospel is proclaimed, that we remember where our righteousness comes from, and that it transforms how we get to interact, not only in ourselves and with you, but also with each other as a community, and that it's beautiful, Lord. Be with us. May your spirit be with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, does anyone like the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Raise your hand. Like, legitimately, I, just, I need this right now. I need to know. Okay, cool. Awesome. There's like 15% of us here that like that. That's good. This is really going to speak to everybody this morning. Um, so I really love, I love the superhero thing. I'm, you know, I, I get here a lot. I talk about how I'm kind of a geek a lot, but I love it. And, um, and it's kind of amazing how many dollar bucks are going into these kinds of movies. Like studios are willing to pump in so much cash to make these movies happen and to make them look the way they look because people will go spend their dollars to go to these movies or own these movies or watch these movies. And I think there's just, there is something that draws us and it has for years and years about the story of a hero, of a superhuman doing superhuman things. And we all go, wow, ooh, ah, right? Um, because often like there's this, there, there's this, I think we have to remember art often imitates life and culture. And I think there's something in the superhero story that reflects us and our longings and our desires. We have this, we have this innate thing in us that, that for some reason relates to those stories, and I think that's why sometimes we can get done watching an Iron Man or a Spider-Man or a whatever, and we can, we can feel something kind of ping inside of us that says, like, that wants to wake up to like, ooh, that speaks to me somewhere in a deeper place inside of me. And I think there's a reason why, because I think it reflects us in a lot of ways. Because um, you have superheroes, and and often like a thread in the superhero story is that there are these people who, like, like, let's put Captain America in your head. Can we just put Captain America in our head? Um, If you know anything about Captain America, he's uh, a normal guy, just a normal guy who gets recruited to the military, and he's ready to go fight in World War II. He's going to take down the Nazis, but he's, he's really sad because he's a weak, frail little dude. He gets pumped full of this superhuman serum, this super soldier serum, and that makes him into this person that is Captain America. So he becomes a superhuman that's basically bulletproof. He gets a fancy cool shield that can't be destroyed. He's super strong. He never gets tired, and he goes around, and he's awesome. And, and we go, whoa. But I think the thing in the story that really gets to us and really reflects something that we're yearning for is what happens when the superhuman has to become vulnerable and face his actual weaknesses, and that's what he actually has to overcome in order to be the hero that we all say, good job, Captain America, right? It's that. Because I think somewhere in us, we feel that same tension. We've been through history, and through history, there's, there's been these things like the Great Enlightenment, the Great Awakening, the, the industrial, the scientific, the technological, and the internet information revolutions that have gone on that have kind of had us believe this lie. that um, I, It's like I think of the 70s and 80s when they were talking about the, the internet. I wasn't around back then. But uh, I hear they say that, uh, that they said, oh my gosh, this internet thing, it's going to be amazing. It's going to make our lives so much simpler. Everything's going to be, because the computers are going to do everything for us, and we're going to be able to sit back, 
and sip on Mai Tais on beaches all day long and it's going to be beautiful. That's like, that was like the promise given through like the idea of the internet. Fast forward 30 years, are we doing okay with that? No, like we're more frantic and hectic and wild and crazy than we've ever been. And I think it's because in some ways we've taken this technology and somehow expected all of us to be able to produce more, achieve more, accomplish more at a more efficient pace. And we have to do that to keep up and to claim our space of worth in life, right? So we're all kind of in some ways little Captain Americas being superhumans having to function at some incredible rates. That when we really boil down to the inner parts of ourselves, we can't keep up and it's killing us. Anyone feeling that today? <laughs> I'm not gonna point, someone in the back was pointing at someone else, it was wonderful. <laughs> Are you tired of keeping up this superhuman nonsense? Are you tired of it? I am tired of it. I'm sick of it. It is, I think, it is killing us. It is, I believe, so much of what's happening when we talk about depression and anxiety and our fears and our shame and our guilt and our anger that's just, just unraveling inside of us is because we're holding up some sort of veneer of being the superhuman that has to be accepted by everyone else instead of ever being able to actually deal with the brokenness, the pain, the hurt, the loneliness, the guilt, the shame that's going on inside of us. And then it leads us to try to manage it, so we manage it by numbing it. We get these physiological pains that sort of like, they cry out. They go inside of me and they say, Will, ah, I feel this and I'm hurting. And I say, shut up. And I watch more television and I look at my glowing rectangle more and I play more games and I drink more drinks and I eat more food to tell it to be quiet. Anyone with me? Because I don't want to deal with it. Because I want to be able to just keep this exterior facade up because that is what's going to be wanted and accepted and have my worth. Because we're all looking for our worth, right? Jesus is calling that out in these woes here. And I give all that to say like, let's be really careful not to think that someone else somewhere else is dealing with this. I think this is very prevalent in our society. And I think as the, the modern day church, we have also expected this reality and we have not foster, fostered an identity in a community of honest living, in true in Christ living. And instead, we have accepted people's production over their character. And because we care more about people's ability to produce over people's ability to be actually an in-Christ identity and actually be the messy mess that they truly are and be honest with who they are. I think that's why we see the cracks in the church and the moral failings of leaders and the, the, the disenchantment of what it means to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, because, because the world looks at it and goes, that's not any better. So what is better? What does it look like for us to lay aside our superhuman tendencies and live as we truly are, as citizens of this kingdom, as in Christ identity holders, honestly and truly who we really are, and actually accept not only each other, but also be able to accept myself and ourselves? 
And so that is so much of what I want to dig us into today. And so I want to handle these woes one after the other. I'll be really honest, I kind of wish Jesus said them in a different order, but that's okay, we'll deal with that when we get there. Um, but we're going to deal with this whole idea of woe number five, which um, is, is focused on the idea of like bad cleaning practices. My first, my first uh, um, point is, ba- is blind cleaning, because he talks about the Pharisees being blind. And then we're going to go and we're going to talk about what it looks like to do that as an in Christ, our identity set in Christ kind of person. And then we're going to focus on the, the, the second, or the, 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 it's the sixth woe, but our second woe this morning. And we're going to talk about the way that we don't live as our true selves and we project something false, okay? And dig into this a little bit. All right, so the first one, blind cleaning practices or being blind cleaning. Um, I'm going to read that, that first woe again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plates, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plates, that the outside also may be clean. So I want to, right in the center of that passage, we have this exclamation that Jesus makes about the Pharisees that he's talking about here. He calls them blind. And they're blind we can see they're blind because of the things of greed and self-indulgence. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to talk about what kind of blind they are. Because Jesus is not talking about their vision being poor. Okay? When blindness is described throughout Scripture, what it's wanting us to do is it's wanting us to remember a day and an age when you couldn't just go flip a switch and a light would come on. Can you imagine that with me? That changed everything. Like, we don't give that enough credit, the fact that we could make lights just appear. There was a time when when it got dark, it got dark. And so you didn't do stuff. You just sat in the dark. Could you imagine if the sun actually just, like, told us what time we're awake and what time we're asleep? Wouldn't that be wild? But no, we have the ability to have lots of glowing things in our life that keep us up until 2 in the morning. It's great, isn't it? Please notice my sarcasm. Uh, but no, no, no. When, when the Bible's talking about being blind, it's talking the difference between being in a dark place versus being in a light place. It's the idea of when you walk into a cave, your eyes no longer have the ability to see things because it is dark. That's the blindness we're talking about here, is Jesus is calling out the Pharisees saying that they are not in a light place. They're not in a light place. They're blind because they're in a dark place. And we know through Scripture that God is light. So Jesus is making this really clear picture that this is a, he's describing people who are not in the presence of God, but are, are living actively and presently outside of that presence. And they're unwilling to let God be the one who is being a light for them. Okay? And so that's what's making them blind. And so he describes the two things as greed and self-indulgence. And I want to talk about those just pretty quickly. Now, greed, this goes far beyond monetary desire, right? This is not just, I want lots of money. Because a lot of times I think we just automatically assume greed with like, all right, give me all the money, right? Uh, no, greed is just is, is the idea of, I want what I want now and God has not given it to me, so I will do what is necessary to get it. That's greed. It lines up very good with the 10th commandment out of the 10 commandments. 
uh, thou shalt not covet. You shall not, don't, don't covet what your brother or sister has. It's this idea of having so much trust that God is in control that you have everything you need right now. And you don't need more. But greed tells us, I want more. I don't have enough. So I will do what is necessary to get what I want. Okay? So that's kind of our first one. The second one is self-indulgence. This idea of, well, because I deserve it or because I want it, I will give to self what self wants. Okay? And here's what these do. It's this idea of, our ability to have control, I think, is really what's going on here, is that I want control over my circumstances, and so instead of dealing with what's going on inside and having to go to God who is light to deal with that thing, I'm going to maintain control by getting what I want, which if we ask ourselves really is this idea of I want others to give me my worth where I want to be able to have control of how I get my worth or how I achieve my worth or how I go out and grab my worth. And so the easiest road to do that is to trick everyone else by only cleaning the outside to get what I want accomplished. And we believe the lie that that's the way we're going to get what we want. Because really what's happening here is we're afraid. We're afraid that if people really saw the mess that's going on on the inside, they wouldn't want us. They wouldn't accept us. And so we have to put forward some level of cleanliness that we think is going to be accepted by others. And therefore, we take away a trust in God that he actually is the one who makes us clean and righteous, and we put it all on our shoulders to keep that outside looking really good and clean instead of ever really letting the inside get dealt with because we're afraid. We're afraid to look in that mess. Have you, have you ever, um, I don't know, when I was a kid growing up in my home, we had that, an extra room, <clears throat> and that extra room was the room, like, the door we never opened because it's where we put all the stuff. Because it was like, you, I mean, we all have stuff that we go like, well, where do we put this stuff? Put it in the room, right? And then do that for years, and what happens to that room? It just kind of fills up with stuff. And eventually you stop going in that room because the room's full of stuff. And we kind of feel this like, I don't want to talk about the room. I'm going to pretend the room doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to keep living like we only have four rooms and maybe we had five rooms at one time <laughs> because I don't want to deal with the room. Is anyone with me on that? Uh, I also do this in my bank account. Anyone? <laughs> Where I go like, uh, yeah, I know I have a bank account. I don't want to look at it. I just got back from vacation. I don't want to look at my bank account, right? Is anyone with me there? Like I do this, like I have this, I think that's, that's, that's the way I kind of relate to this is like we know there's stuff going on, but I'm like, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to know anyone else to see it. And, and, and what happens is because we're afraid, right? We're afraid to really look in there because we don't want to know what we might see. And sometimes we make it a bigger, scarier thing than it really is because we just sort of avoid it. And so we do this thing, we try to, we, what we do, and like in the church, we're so good at this, but man, we figure out how to make our appearance look like we're all okay. Like we show up on Sunday morning and someone says, how are you doing? And you say, I'm good, I'm blessed. We use our social medias 
to project versions that are of ourselves that like, everything's good, I'm good, you're good, we're good. We clean up our words, we make sure our words all match up with like what's appropriate by our culture around us, right? We're really good at that. Some of us better than others. Um, but, because I'm bad at that, some of my words are silly. Uh, we, we, we clean up our actions, we make sure what our actions are appropriate, and then we also, what we do is we get really focused on the visible sins that are like, we, quote, we put them in the box of like, these are the bad sins. As long as I don't do those sins, I'm a good boy, right? As long as, the, as, long as those aren't seen or those, are, or those aren't present, I don't ever have to dig in and deal with actual things like pride because no one cares about pride. People care about sexual sin, right? People care if I'm stealing. They don't care if I am lazy, Right? And we, we sort of like, we, we sort of categorize what sins we're actually going to not deal with and what sins we are going to deal with because we want to present some sort of cleaning that is acceptable to those around us and also acceptable to ourselves. So I want to, what I want to do is I, um, I think First John really highlights what we do about this. And so my second point is um, just what does is, what is in Christ cleaning look like? And if you want to, you can go to 1 John chapter 1. And starting in verse 5, he says this. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So remember we talked about being blind and in the darkness. How we get out of the darkness is we go to God. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You hear that? Hear that wonderful cleaning language that John uses here? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Some sin? No, all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. The truth is not in us. Well, listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Isn't that wonderful? I just, I just like, I just, that is, that's our text this morning. I really, if we're going to ask ourselves, how do we handle this and how do we deal with our greed and our self-indulgence and we deal with our darkness issues, we go to God. We, we enter into his presence and we're honest with him. We let what's happening inside cry out. We open up the truth and the honesty of what is really going on inside of us. I think sometimes we think that like when we're praying, our prayers need to be like really kind of neat and tidy and say the right things or whatever. I highly encourage, spend some time speaking just honestly and vulnerably to your God because he can handle it, I promise you. He can handle, he, 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 here's the reason he can handle it because he's already there and he knows it. He knows what's going on in you. What, what I think of is I think back to the garden when Adam and Eve had just taken the fruit and they've recognized their shame 
and they've covered up their bodies and they're hiding. And God comes in, what does he say? He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And what is Adam doing? He's hiding. He's hiding. God knows exactly where he is, but he's asking, where are you? And Adam comes out eventually and he says, here I am, Lord. And he's like, God sees them all covered up because shame has revealed itself. God does not, like his wrath does not come out in that moment. Instead, he recognizes that his, his son, Adam, has experienced something that he doesn't know how to deal with himself and he needs his God to help him. And he says, here am I. And I think that's a prayer we need to pray often is we need to be able to be honest and we have to say, here I am, Lord. And sometimes that prayer can say lots of ugly things because it's being honest with ourselves and with God what's really going on. And so um, this is what we do. How do we, how do we clean not just the outside but clean the inside as well? Well, the first thing is we have to be honest with ourselves and with God. And so that's what I'm talking about. We have to pray. And we have to pray honestly and genuinely. We have to tell God what's really going on. And so we have to actually kind of open that door ourselves as well and go in there. Here's the thing. God's not surprised. God is not surprised. Can I read to you a psalm that's been really just encouraging to me? Psalm 139 is where I'm going. King David wrote this song, psalm at one time, and he said this. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light um, about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I'm going to stop there. But that psalm, I think, is just such a sweet, sweet balm to us to remember that God is not surprised about the junk that's going on inside of, our, inside of us. 
He knows us more intimately than we could ever imagine, and he, he places his worth into us because we were made in his image, and he says he loves us. And it says in Romans that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That is how much God loves us and values us, is he's made a way for us to deal with our uncleanliness. Because he, he sent his son and he sent his spirit to help us with our uncleanliness. And so we then get to clean properly. So like I said, the first thing I always think of is, man, we need to be honest with ourselves and with God about what's really going on. We also need to learn to um, repent, uh, confess and repent of what is going on. So it says back in 1 John, it says, confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we really want to be clean, we really have to be honest. We really have to confess. And that looks like confessing not only to the Lord, confessing to ourselves, confessing to those we might sin against, and being honest with those things. Yet we're terrified, because again, we come back to like, but what if they won't want me anymore? What if they won't accept me anymore? What if they leave me? What if they deny me, right? And for that That's why, man, we have to learn to walk in the light and trust God. Trust God that he alone can hold us and keep us and give us our worth. It's where we really have to, we have to let God have more say in who we are and where our worth comes from than what man says. And that can be painful. Don't get me wrong. There are painful consequences sometimes, too, by admitting ways that we hurt other people. But the pain of those consequences awakens us to the reality of ways that we don't want to live. But we have to trust that God can hold us and keep us, even when it's scary to be honest about what's really going on. Ways that we're not truly living who we are in our freedom in Christ. So... In order to become aware of these things and be honest with ourselves, we need to hire the Holy Spirit to really take part in who we are on the inside. He's dwelling in there. If, if you're alive in the Spirit, if we're alive in the Spirit, the Spirit's in there and He is doing work. And we have to trust that He is going to get in there like a wonderful cleaner and He's going to do, do work. And here's the thing. We have to trust this process because He's going to prioritize the things. And we get to live a whole life of letting him work through those things. That, that's, we have a fancy word for that called sanctification, where we get to live this whole life being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by letting the Holy Spirit do work in us, by, by um, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. It's this idea that like, he's going to call things out that are going on inside of us, and he's going to bring those up to the surface, and we're going to be able to recognize those things and say, oh, Wow. I'm, I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I have that in me. And that's not who I need to be. I don't have to live that way anymore. I can let that go. I can let God take care of that. I can give that to God and let him shine light in my life and light up my path and show me where to go. And I don't have to let that thing entangle me and enslave me any longer or hold me down. Instead, I can be free from that thing that grips so tightly, that feels so near, that feels so scary to me. And we can learn to let that go and be free 
because we can trust in God through his Holy Spirit to do that work. That's the thing, as the Holy Spirit does that work, we need to learn how to have patience for not only the Holy Spirit in our personal life, but also patience to have the Holy Spirit work in each other's lives, right? Sometimes we kind of see each other and we go like, oh man, they'd be so much better if they just did this. But maybe the Holy Spirit has not brought them an awareness of that thing yet, right? And sometimes it takes a lot of relationship to get to a point where we can we can ask each other some curious questions to say, how are you doing? But like, here's, here's what's cool. We're able to do all this. We're able to do all this, not from like a legalistic, like you better get better, and if you're not better, God won't love you. No, we're able to do this because God loves us. And because of the truth and the power of the resurrection through Jesus Christ, he now imparts his righteousness onto us and makes us good. That's the scandal of the gospel, is that we now, those of us that put our trust in Jesus, he puts his righteousness on us. And now, even though the flesh is still persisting and still sins and still struggles and still fails and falls short and is broken and is messy, it's all been cleaned up because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. That we now... We own his righteousness that he imparts upon us and that's what gives us the freedom and the ability to recognize our sin and live who we truly are in Christ and actually deal with the cleaning processes of dealing with the inside stuff and the real mess going on inside because um, his spirit is alive in us and is is cleansing us all the time. So that's why we get to walk in this this reality. So so one last encouragement is settle into a life of this. Settle into a life of the Holy Spirit recognizing things and bringing them to you the present. Settle into a life where you're probably going to go back to the same kind of ways where you feel guilt and shame and having to confess and repent of the same sins regularly. Like, like that's something like I always struggle with is I'll feel like, okay, I've confessed and I've repented of this sin or whatever it is. And then a couple weeks later, I find myself feeling depressed and anxious and struggling and frustrated. And then I'm like, I'm so stubborn that I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, I'm doing the exact same thing I just confessed about two weeks ago. Will, come on, get it together, man, come on. And like I put this superhuman expectation on myself again because I'm like, why do I keep doing the same thing? But that's the thing is that's our flesh at work. Is it rem- it's got a really good memory, our flesh does. And it wants to keep doing the same things over and over again. And I just want to say, that's very normal. If you feel a lot of unhealthy shame because you struggle with the same stuff year over year over year, we're all there, brother and sister. We're all there. And we need to have a lot of grace and compassion, not only for each other, but we need to have a lot of grace and compassion for ourselves. We need to let ourselves live honestly into who we are because we can because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so you're not broken because you keep coming back to the same thing that's brought you some sort of false comfort in the past. You're actually very normal and very human. And the same human that Jesus loves so much that he forgives all sin and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And we can trust him with that. So I want to um, so get into my third point here, these, um, uh, this false self-projection work that we do. 
So that next woe. It says this, it says, uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay? That sounds fun, doesn't it? Um, so one thing we do, like, again, this is very, these are very similar woes. That's why we, we coupled them together. But the big idea here is um, in, in this time, in this day and age, what Jesus like, is using as an illustration is during a, a certain holiday, they would go around where it was really important for everybody to be able to make it to the temple because it's like in order to get, be able to be in worship at the temple, you had to be clean. In order to be clean, you had to do certain things or not do certain things. And one of the things you shouldn't do is touch a grave because it's unclean because there's dead bodies in there, okay? So they would go around and paint all of the tombs a really like a vibrant white color, like they chalk them up basically so that everyone could see where the tombs were so they could make sure they didn't touch them. Does that make sense? And so the big idea here is, is, is the idea of, like, of cleanliness again, of this idea that, that of beautifying something so that it appeared as like a marker for, oh, okay, I need to either avoid that thing. And so the way that Jesus applies this is he calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs because they are, their identity is that like a tomb where it just is like beautying up the outside, trying to create a false projection that is good and acceptable to the people around them. And, but instead it's hypocritical and it's lawless in reality because it's not actually following the way of God and his people. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of the, the illustration that Jesus is using here. And so it's really this like this, Jesus is calling us into understanding like what our identity is. Because the identity he sort of throws out for the Pharisees here is dead and unclean. And he's already established that they are blind because they don't walk in the light because of their greed and their self-indulgence. And so we get to this next woe that's really kind of dealing with this idea of like, are they alive or are they dead? And no matter how much you beauty up the outside of a dead thing, it's still a dead thing. But... So, so in, that's what he says. He says, and he calls them hypocritical and lawless. So hypocritical, the idea here is, is that there's just not honesty in who they truly are. There's not an acceptance that they are a broken, needy, imperfect human being. There's this projection, projected hypocritical self that says, I'm good on the outside, but don't look at what's really going on here, what my real motives are. And there's a lawlessness because there's a desire to follow the law according to their own desire, very pharisaically, but not actually follow the law for the purpose of the law. It wasn't for the purpose of actually pointing people to know how to live as the people of God. It was to follow the law so that they could gain power and control over the people. And so there's a lawlessness and a hypocrisy that Jesus is pointing out in the Pharisees here. And it's all because it's all this idea that they are being like whitewashed tombs that are projecting this beautiful self when really on the inside their identity is not in the way God calls them son or daughter, okay? And we do this all the time. We, we, it, it's very similar that we just want to project this thing so that other people think that what's going on is good. And so 
Uh, in, in, in like the pastoring world, we call this a false self. We're so afraid of the true self that's really in there that's crying out to be known. But we're so afraid to actually let that out that we project a false self that we think is the acceptable good version of ourselves. That's why when things are going really bad, we can look at people and go like, I'm great. It's good to see you. Bless you, brother. It's this, like, I don't want you to actually know what's really going on in here because if you did, you wouldn't want me. Because when it really comes down to it, I I only want the false self to be real because I don't want me. There's no way God could want me. And what we're doing is we're, we are denying our true identity of who we are in Christ. We're settling for this false self that we're seeking for identity in, and we feel more comfort in saying, I'm a piece of junk, or I'm worthless, or I'm not good enough. And we have that going on inside, but outside we kind of, we just put the smile on and we go, everything's good, I'm fine, I'm good but we, we, we're willing to just sit in this like false self-projection of ourselves instead of, instead of being kind to ourselves and compassionate ourselves and telling us who we truly are. Because here's what's cool. If, if we've put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, those dead bones and that uncleanliness doesn't apply to you or me. Okay? That's not who we are. And you're lying to yourself and to God and to everyone else if you just say that you are just too broken and too messed up and too much of a piece of junk to, for anyone to ever love or accept. If you're finding comfort in that, brother or sister, today, I just ask you to confess that and deny that because that is not your identity if you're in Christ. Your identity has been transformed and shaped into a new identity. He has imparted his righteousness upon you and you can actually have compassion for yourself and tell yourself the truth of who you truly are. Here's where I want to go. I want to go to Romans chapter 7. This is Paul speaking, one of the authors of so much of the New Testament. He's been talking about the law and he's been having this sort of just this argument with himself um, about how the whole history and how this all works with the law and sin and being good enough and not being good enough. And he comes to this point here before chapter eight and he says this in uh, verse 24 of chapter seven. He says, wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt that? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you hear that similarity to the dead bones in the grave? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Then he goes into eight. This is one of the most beautiful passages that we could just have memorized and speak into the truth of who we are over and over and over again. And it says this. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. 
He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Anyone here hoping for life and peace this morning? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, okay, please put yourself in the place of you if you have trusted Jesus with your life. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We've got... We've got to let scripture like this shape our identity at our core. And we need to preach this to ourselves over and over and over again. And remember that the truth of who we are is in Christ. If we put our trust in him and our salvation into him, and he makes us alive, he makes us uh, free, he makes us conquerors of sin and death because his righteousness is imparted upon us. And now we get to live by the Spirit and don't have to let the flesh rule. This is what it looks like to, to transform from someone who just sort of does the outward sort of appearance cleaning because we are so afraid of what man thinks of us. This is what it looks like to actually care about what God thinks about us is we allow the Spirit to really rule our lives. And we don't quench the Spirit, but we listen to the Spirit. We pray to God that the Spirit would speak to us and convict us and highlight who we are, but we also remind ourselves of our identity of who we are in Christ. We remember that His righteousness has covered us, is imparted to us, and makes us a new thing. That His goodness sets us free from the flesh, which is only restricted to the law and is going to fail. But his spirit makes us alive and gives us life and peace. And so we can then have compassion on ourselves and we can let our true self exist. We can give space to that. And so uh, just to land the plane here, just my fourth point is just that uh, our in Christ identity is where we have to really get to is to remember that we are in Christ that he is transforming us and he's uh, from one degree of glory to the next. He loves us and accepts us. He already knows the mess and invites us into the mess and invites us to be honest with ourselves and with each other about the mess. So a couple things I've been really working on myself to like get here, to, to really dig into what's going on in there, to be someone who's not hypocritical and lawless, but someone who desires to find my identity in Christ. Um, I heard a pastor, a preacher say this, and I really appreciated it, but just reminding myself that I am ordinary, I'm imperfect, I am loved. 
Those all things can be true and they can teach us who we are a little bit and give us a little bit of grace. We can, we can, my wife is is really, really sweet. Um, She, often when I start to spiral and she knows I'm spiraling, um, one of the first things she, she asked me is like, what is the truth? Isn't that good? Because she's aware of my identity issues, like all of our identity issues, that I will often start to believe the lie and forget that, I'm, that I will start to think like, well, I'm just a piece of junk and I'm worthless and whatever. But then it's like, what is the truth? The truth is I am a son of the holy God. I've been adopted into his family and he loves me And he has given me so much worth that I will never even understand. He's given me an inheritance that I won't even be able to comprehend. And that he loves me and he wants me and he accepts me. And like when I can tell myself those truths and stop believing those lies and I can start getting to work on that identity issues that I've got going on inside of me, that's when the Holy Spirit gets to cleaning and reminds me of who I truly am who I'm meant to be, and that, again, I can be ordinary, I can be imperfect, but that I am loved. And every one of us are invited into this. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a community where we can be honest with who we really are, what's really going on. This is really hard and lonely when it's alone. But that's not what God invites us to do. He invites us into be a community that can be patiently walking shoulder to shoulder next to one another, helping each other back onto the path, reminding each other to point ourselves to who we are in Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus as our Savior, and remembering that we get life and peace and satisfaction and joy from that life over the flesh life that so often tries to tell us our identity isn't what it truly is. So that's what I'm encouraging us into this morning, is that we would, we would be brave and courageous and honest enough with ourselves that we would not just be people that try to clean the outside, but that we'd be people that would allow the Holy Spirit to do a lot of work on the inside. And that we could be confident and trust in God so much that he's got us, even though that can be terrifying and scary. But he's got us because he loves us because he's imparted his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and to live for us and to be ascended for us and to rule and reign over us. And because of those realities, we can be honestly who we truly are. All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. I pray that God, you would, um, your spirit, God, would just be at work in us. That you would be helping us to see areas where we are, um, we're afraid to look at, we're afraid to deal with, um, because we're so busy trying to keep up the superhuman appearance that everything's okay. But I pray, God, that you would do work in us and that, you would, um, that we, would, we would experience the freedom and the life and the vitality that you, you offer us as we live in who we truly are in Christ. I pray that um, you would um, just lead us in this time where we worship you, praise you. Um, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And thank you for um, your love for us, Lord. We praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.